Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome back to Big Bash Nation. We're coming to you live from the SCG where tonight's match has been abandoned after the Sixers face 6.4 overs. They were two for 45, but uh, that was the end of the section. The rain came down, covers came out, and eventually play was called about 10 minutes ago uh, with no end to the rain in sight. So the crowd are just uh, hovering around some of them to grab some autographs and some selfies, and uh, most of them have headed for the car park already. It's Brenton Speed alongside Glenn McGrath, and I thought I'd take this opportunity to reminisce about uh, the most famous series in recent memory, and it was the 2005 Ashes series with Glenn McGrath alongside. Let's start with the happy times at Lords. What happened in that series? I vaguely <laughs> remember. England happened to win a series, and uh, Kevin Peterson and uh, Andrew Flintoff were the, the toast of the town as they walked around. The skunk hairdo was going for KP, but uh, Australia started so well at your favourite venue at the time at Lords, where you were unplayable mm. and the wickets were tumbling, weren't they? Yeah, Lords is not a bad place to play, and I think uh, went on that tour with 499 Test wickets. So to be able to have the opportunity to take my 500th at Lords was pretty special. And then, you know, we went, got there. I'm trying to think whether we won the toss. We must have won the toss and batted. And I remember they came hard at us. Harmus and bowled well. He bowled a good bouncer to Ricky Ponting and hit him on the grill and went through and cut him. And so they came pretty hard. And I think they knocked us over for 180 or something. And I was left stranded on um, 10 not out again. <laughs> you were seeing him like a football. And uh, then our turn came to, to bowl and you know, it was a quick stint and then we had a break. Might have been tea break and then came back out after tea and first ball, it all happened and picked up five wickets pretty quickly and um, got my name up on the on the board again. But to take my 500th at Lords, you know, Marcus Trescothic caught by Justin Langer was, was pretty special and my family were there. And my parents, my mother and father flew over and... Uh, saw the match as well so I remember my dad sitting in the crowd and he said his favourite part of the day was or his uh, that first day was while Australia was batting and England were all over us the English section of the crowd just gave it to the Aussies <laughs> and then when we bowled and we had them five for 21 the Aussies just gave it back to the and my father said that was the best part of it <laughs> and when I took my 500 they worked out who he was and he was being congratulated by the Aussie section and also by the POMs. So it was uh, a pretty special time and, you know, it was good memories in that match and, you know, then we bounced back after that and knocked them over pretty cheaply and then, yeah, put on some good runs and actually won that game quite convincingly in the end. Yeah, 17 wickets fell on the opening day. It was a, the most extraordinary opening day you could ever wish to see. Australia lasted 40.2 overs, mm. all out for 190. England eventually knocked over for 155 in their first innings in 48.1 overs. A certain Glenn McGrath, 5 for 53. I was lucky enough to cover that tour and interview you on the balcony with your uh, specially painted and made uh, boots as well <laughs> with the gold uh, trim and all that. Oh, yeah, you, you carry on a bit sometimes. You know, the batsmen get so many accolades and sort of recognition for this and for that, and they're always raising the bat for acknowledgement when they get 50s and 100s. So I thought I'd do something different and got my uh, 
boots made up with the gold boots, the gold pony boots. And uh, when I took my 500th, uh, Michael Kasovich was supposed to run them out at the end of the over when I'm on the boundary, but he ran them out straight on that ball. I went, oh! So I had to sort of, uh, yeah, force to, to switch them out straight away. And, yeah, the boys still give me a hard time over that one. But, yeah, I thought for some, yeah, you don't do it every day, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so you only wore them after you're taking your 500th. You yeah, yeah, I didn't wear it. Like, yeah, brought them out for the special moment. And then, uh, yeah, four wickets came pretty quickly. So, yeah, kept them on. And tell us about that slope at Lords and how quickly you adjusted uh, to utilising it to your advantage because, you, as you say, your name's on the board there multiple times. Yeah, no, they, they say there's anything from 9 to 11 feet slope across the ground. And I always enjoyed coming from the member's end and the slope went left to right, so you know, which is nearly perfect for my bowling. So I just bowled chest outside off stump. Some would hold their line. And just continue straight. The other ones would pitch, and off the seam would, would, you know, cut back down the slope in, in towards the stumps of the the right hander, or away from the left hander, and, and bring the edge of the bat in. So, it is a, firstly a special place to play, and it's the first time I ever came across the honour board system as well, where you walk in the change rooms, on both sides, and it's got up there five wickets in an innings, ten wickets in a match, and you know, 100 runs in innings on the other side and some of the greats of all time and every player wants to get their name up there. And so to, to be able to firstly play at Lords, which is special, which is unique in the sense that when that first ball is bowled anywhere in the world and the umpire calls play, the atmosphere and the crowd, the noise builds and builds. And as a fast bowl or opening bowler, you just take your time and let it build even more. But at Lords, you could hear a pin drop. So if you're standing there waiting for it, you just look like an idiot, so you just run in and bowl. But it is a special place where you walk down the stairs, through the long room, and out into the field. So, uh, yeah, to to get your name up on the board there at the home of cricket is pretty special. And did anyone advise you? Obviously, former greats came before you and had utilised that slope. Is there anyone you sought advice for before you first played at that venue or something you just picked up pretty comfortably? Um, no, I think just... Picked it up fairly naturally. Uh, we just, I remember my first tour there was 1997. Uh, we just came off a, a first innings, a first test match defeat uh, by over an innings or, or by 10 wickets, I think it might have been, um, at Edgebaston. So things were, were in dire straits. And then to go to Lords and to turn things around. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think it's, it's something just unique about playing at that ground. And another little stat is. I think I've scored over 40 runs that Lord's never dismissed. So it'd be <laughs> nice if the batsman could have hung around with me. You never know what could have happened. <laughs> no, no average for Glenn McGrath with the bat at Lord's. That is a good stat. Uh, yeah, that first test in 97, England racked up uh, 9 for 478 declared and 1 for 119 in the second innings to win by nine wickets in the end. Nine. But uh, our main focus at the moment is 2005. So you're 1-0 up in the series. Australia is just dominating England historically. Uh, and then uh, John Buchanan called an earlier training <laughs> session, did he, at uh, Edgebaston on the morning of the second test? Well, cricket's all about routines and just keeping everything the same. You've got a winning formula off you go. And for some reason, our coach, John Buchanan, decided we'd leave for the ground half an hour earlier than we had before. And normally get down the rooms, you know, change rooms, stuff around, slowly get ready, and I get out on the field just in time for warm-ups. And that's the way it's always been, you know, my career leading into it. This game, 
or this day's play. We get down there half an hour earlier, get out in the field ready for warm-ups, and there's still half an hour to go. So to kill some time standing around, and and Brad Haddon picks up a rugby league ball, and he he rates himself a bit as a leaguey. So we're just standing there, we're only sort of, I don't know, seven, eight metres apart, just passing the footy. And he throws this rubbish pass that bounces halfway between us, and it just rolled along the ground, so I missed it. And I've just turned to run to pick the ball up fairly innocently. What I didn't notice was our coach had gone along and put ball, glove, ball, glove, ball, glove behind us. And that was so when we start warm-ups, we can warm our shoulders up just by throwing it. And you've got a baseball mitt and a ball. So, And I still don't remember seeing the ball, but I remember feeling it going down and hitting the ground. I'm lying on the ground, and I knew I was in trouble because I've done my ankle plenty of times before. I uh, played a lot of basketball when I was younger, and I did it a few times then. So I, I knew I'd done it pretty badly. I'm lying there thinking how I could reverse what just happened. <laughs> and just nothing came in my mind. And I was laying there what for what seemed an eternity. And I thought, I'll look up now, and my teammates will be racing over to see how I am. Look up. No one's moved a, a millimetre. Went. So I lay back down. I'm going through it in my mind how I can reverse what happened. Nothing again. And after another eternity, I think, surely they're coming over. Look up, they haven't moved. So I had to call a physio over. And when he saw my face, he knew I was in some serious trouble. So up, carted straight off to hospital, scan. Fully ruptured two ligaments in my ankle, plus a bit of bone damage on the inside. And I remember coming back to the ground after the scan. So I was out of the game. And as I was about... just about to walk into the change rooms that was announced over the PA system that I wasn't playing, that I was out of the test. And a massive cheer went up around the ground, probably the biggest cheer I've ever had. And uh, yeah, uh, But one thing that was interesting was when I went over on that ball, there was three English people in the crowd watching. They saw me go down. They saw me lie there for a while. So what did they do? They quickly ran over to Ladbrokes and they put a bet on that I wouldn't take a single wicket in the match. And apparently got reasonable odds. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, and they got it on in time and they the bet was paid. So they did pretty well. And I'm disappointed they didn't, you know, give me a, or make a donation or do something <laughs> with that. So, yeah, and then sitting there watching that match um, and getting so close down to the wire with, with Michael Kasovich and Bet, uh, Brett Lee, so close yet so far was, uh, you know, it was one of the most amazing games I've, I've witnessed. But, um, yeah, it was tough being not being involved in that game. And But I had physio 24-7. And, you know, like I said, fully ruptured two ligaments. But our physio, Errol Orcott, is a, an amazing man. And I played a test match seven days later. So uh, funny how it all worked out. Yeah, and when you said you, you came back, uh, from the hospital, and you heard an announcement over the PA system. I thought it was going to be Australia have won the toss, and Ricky Ponning <laughs> has elected to bowl without Glenn McGrath, who's been ruled out of the test. Uh, what yeah. was your reaction when Ponting elected to bowl first? Yeah, you know, it's uh, hindsight's a good thing, isn't it? And you know, if you give him that toss another 99 times, he'll elect to bat. He said he wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I think he's trying to stand firm on it. You know. But it was funny the whole talk leading into that match from everyone that we'd spoken to, including the grounds people and the you know, the media, was that the only teams that had won on this pitch for the season were the ones that bowled first. As it went on, it just got better and better. And I think uh, we fell for it. I don't know if it was a concerted effort to, to 
sell us a dummy, but we uh, we fell for it hook, line and sinker. And, um, yeah, Putter won the toss. I was out of the team, elected to bowl. And at the end of the first half, I think it was something like they were 407 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, they were bowled out for 407. But yeah. They, they racked that up in one day. And that was ridiculous. And, yeah. Behind the eight ball. Less than 80 overs were bowled. And then Australia uh, had a deficit nigh on 100 when they were knocked over for 308. And as you say, it all came down to that uh, last wicket partnership. Brett Lee finished unbeaten on 43. And Kasparowicz uh, was taken down the leg side. Uh, he had one hand off the bat. That was the hand that the ball struck. Mm. Uh, did you guys debate that much in the dressing room, whether that should have been out or not? Um, not really at that time. I think everyone was, you know, pretty devastated. It was uh, such an amazing match, and, and what the, you know, what Casper and, and Binger did was amazing. You know, when Warney got out, we thought, oh, it's just, yeah, it's over now. And going into that last day, really, we're so far behind with only three wickets in the shed, we're never a chance. And to get right down to the wire was was a was an incredible effort. So it was more about that than, you know, oh, that that wasn't out, you know. But you, know, you take the good with the bad, don't you? It was a decent catch by Garrett Jones down the leg side yeah. as well. And then the sportsmanship between Freddie Flintoff and Brett Lee as well. That handshake and that yeah. image certainly went around the world. And it was uh, played in a great spirit, that series, would you say? Or? Yeah, pretty much so. Um, the thing with that, if, if Australia got those extra two or three runs, that series would have been done yeah. over dead and buried. So it kept it live. It just kept the interest. And what happened the rest of that series was incredible. You know, there was not enough uh, seats. You know, were turning people away from every ground. People coming up to us in, in the streets of London saying, you know, I don't watch much cricket. I'm not a big fan, but I cannot miss a ball. Yeah. And for what it did for cricket, that series, especially in, in the UK, was incredible. Absolutely. You went to Manchester, as you say, somehow. Errol Orcott got you ready to play in that game, and, and that contest was famous for Ricky Ponting uh, and his innings that he calls the best uh, that he's ever played, and Australia was able to hold on just mm. and get a draw there. Yeah, so uh, Punna, he was still looking to go for a win. I know it was still a, probably about 40, 50 runs shy in the end um, before he got out. Yeah, he was still thinking there was a, an opportunity, but then when he got out and it was right down the wire, I had to go out and face a few overs. And uh, yeah, we celebrated. First time we ever really celebrated a draw <laughs> because Australia either win or we lose. And there's not often do we save a match, and especially when I'm out batting, there's not too many matches that have been saved. So to be out there with Brett and, and to save that match, that was, uh, that was amazing. But again, that last day at, um, at Old Trafford, I think they were, they turned away thousands of people who just wanted to come and, and be part of it and experience and see the ashes. And the expectation was, as you say, when you rolled out to bat, that England were going to win this one uh, late, but you managed to stave off a few handy deliveries. Yeah, and there was a, a an LBW shout on uh, Brett Lee from Flintoff swung in that looked very close. Uh, <laughs> it was given not out, so, yeah, swings and roundabouts and... Uh, yeah, so I got through uh, four balls, I think, of the last over, and, and then Brett saw us uh, safely home. And Warney claimed his milestone there, 600th test wicket. Remember, he celebrated by pointing to his uh, white wristband to let his daughter know that he was thinking of her. And, yep. and another little uh, signal, as you said, you brought that in, uh, with you know signaling to the dressing room when you've taken a fifer, and Warney took it another step.
or just raising the ball to the crowd to get a little bit of acknowledgement when you take Pfeiffer. You know, the batsmen do it when they get a 50, when they get 100, 150, and so on, so on. And the bowlers get nothing. So we thought we'd start that, the fast bowling cartel, and we got that one across the line. So it's a, it's something I, I quite enjoy watching when a bowler gets Pfeiffer now. They raise the ball to the crowd, and it's a nice tra- tradition that's, uh, that's been started. Absolutely. Then on to the uh, fourth test at Trent Bridge in Nottingham. And uh, you said before how everyone just had to be watching every ball of this entire series. And, and from memory, this looked like a match that England was dominating. I mean, 477 in the first innings. Australia knocked over for 218 and told to follow on. Then they somehow scrounged out 387, the Aussies. And then Shane Warne tried to take over and nearly spun you to victory. Had England uh, um, treading water at one stage. Yeah, so I was out of that match with an elbow I- issue, which was, uh, yeah, a bit strange, a freak one. So I don't know if someone had a voodoo doll on me that series, <laughs> and I was just jabbing pins in. But Warney had an incredible series, 40 wickets in those five matches, and uh, yeah, nearly bowled us to victory on that uh, in that last innings. I think they were they were really struggling there. They were. I think they got on about seven down, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, seven for 129. Warren had four for 31, yep. but uh, was almost unplayable at times. Mm. Yeah, so that was, you know, nearly the Warney again nearly bowled us to victory, uh, but they just held on and and went one, you know, was that two one up with one test left to play. So. Uh, Every game was, was down to the wire. And Flintoff was man of the match. And uh, around the wicket to Adam Gilchrist was a feature of that series. He certainly got in his head. And he also knocked up a ton in that first innings as well. 102 off 132 balls. His performance in that series uh, as a competitor and an onlooker yep. in a couple of tests was phenomenal. Oh, it was incredible. You know, he's just, you know, the way he batted. And just his game plan against someone like Jason Gillespie. And Diz was down on... Uh, on confidence a little bit and he just sort of ch- ran at him a bit and tried to dominate and had a big impact and you know he's a quality cricketer you know Freddie is just a natural and, and the way he bowled that series bowled good heat 140 plus but the reverse swing England got was incredible uh, was so much more than what we got now just the way he bowled the way Simon Jones bowled was amazing and then with Hoggard and Hammerson with a new ball so yeah it was uh, they were up to up for it that series England we hadn't come across an English team that believed in themselves as much they were uh, playing with a lot of confidence they'd been winning they had the same team together and um, I think Michael Fawn did a great job as captain and someone like Freddie when you've got him in your team you just want him to play when they made him captain that was a big mistake but (laughs) you know he's just a quality player Freddie and you know he had a massive impact that series did you know how they were getting the reverse swing at the time um, well, the, the chief uh, shiner of the ball was Marcus Treskothic, and there was one time he dived to get a ball uh, on the pitch, and about a hundred of these Murray mints went all over the pitch, and he quickly just picked them all up. So um, there was a few rumours going around, but yeah, they've since been confirmed, history. haven't they? That uh, oh, Trez, was... I think Trez in his book put that he was that his job was to get the get them and put them on the ball. And does so, that differ to what Australia did in the famous sandpaper game? Well, it's it's all... I wouldn't say it's a grey area because what the Aussies did was uh, was wrong. That No one's even disputing that. Um, in respect to the mint, I'm not a fan of it. I think it's, it's sort of crossing that line. But, yeah, that's the way it goes. 
So on to the fifth test, England have that lead. And we're getting late in the uh, summer slash uh, moving into autumn in England. Uh, it's September 8, the start date for this test. And in the end, that did Australia no favours because bad light was stopping play when you were chasing a victory. Yeah, I think we're, we're up against it. Uh, yeah, that Going into day five, we needed early wickets. And you know, I was lucky enough to pick Vaughney up and, uh, and Ian Bell in consecutive balls. And then... Brett Lee had um, KP Peterson dropped by Shane Warne at first slip on zero. Regulation catch that Warney would take 99 times out of 100. And I think we were still a big chance. If, if Warney takes that catch, KP's out for zero. They're in serious trouble. We could have gone on, won that match and, and re retained the Ashes. Uh, but as history shows, KP went on and smashed an incredible... What did he get? 100 and... 30, 158. 158. Yeah, off 187. Um, he was starting to plonk them over Cow Corner yeah. then, wasn't he? Yeah. And then once once he did that, that was it, game over. So to be say we were chasing victory was a bit of a, a, <laughs> a long shot and it was, you know, bad light saved them. Um, yeah, we had our opportunities, but unfortunately they were too good for us that series. And Warney still took six for yep. in that second innings. And uh, did he bowl Strauss confused? way around his legs at one stage as well, maybe. That might have been mm. the innings where he knocked over Andrew Strauss, who was a key part of that match for England anyway. He made 129 in the first innings. Warren finished with six for in both of those innings at the Oval, but uh, a famous uh, batting deck more often than not, and England got enough runs on the board to more than uh, yep. save that test. Australia none for four in their second innings and uh, and when bad lights stopped play and, and England were able to celebrate that victory and on to Trafalgar Square the next day for all the celebrations. Yeah, and no, it was tough watching. I try not to watch too much of it, but uh, yeah, they uh, they had, I think, a week or so of celebrations and according to Flintoff, he doesn't remember too much of Trafalgar Square, but uh, yeah, no, it was, that was a big thing for English cricket and yeah, they'd been planning for that for a long time and they'd been playing good cricket leading into it and that was like their Everest. And then uh, after that, when they come to Australia, it was all one-way traffic, but that was a pretty amazing series to it, 2005. And getting back to the ball placement that started the rot at Edgebaston, you spoke about it with John Buchanan. What do you have to say to him about the placement of the ball? <laughs> I'm not sure we've ever spoken about it, to be honest, but I blame him 100%. Um, but it was just one of those freak accidents and... Uh, you know, when I go over there, the groundsman at uh, at old at Edgebaston tells me that partic- they're going to put a plaque on that uh, piece of grass. <laughs> Michael Vaughan, you know, Flintoff, they've all claimed to put the ball there. So uh, anyway, some interesting memories. Hope you've enjoyed the reminiscing with Glenn McGraw on the 05 series. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.